Thank over you. to you. Great. Well, good morning. Um, It's great to be with you today and a real privilege to be up here and sharing. Um, Still sometimes a little bit nerve-wracking for me to be up here, even though I know that you're all lovely. Um, Some of you know that I sometimes travel for work. A couple of weeks ago, I went to Tanzania to give some talks, um, and it was to a group of quite senior doctors, so I was feeling a little bit nervous. So I thought, you know, I just... Just before it all starts, I'll go to the loo one more time, a nervous wee, right? And I'm sure you've all done this. And uh, just took a few moments to just, you know, compose myself, turn the key to come out. It didn't open, so I thought, oh, just try again, try again. Still didn't open. So I thought, ooh, this really isn't opening now, because the, lock, the key was turning, but the lock wasn't moving at all. So I kind of... So gently did it a bit more. So you don't want to break the key in the lock, do you? So um, tried it again. I thought, no one is coming. I, I, I need to go. I can't, I can't stay here. So I started sort of banging on the door. Didn't really work. Um, banged a bit harder. Started shouting. I'm not really a shouter. So I had to like, shout. Um, and I started thinking, what would be the most embarrassing thing? Would it be if no one found me at all? And I was just locked here the whole morning. Would it be if, you know the key was locked and I broke the key and they'd have to bang the door down or if I had to climb out the window or something. Um, and you'd be glad to know that it was all fine. Um, I eventually managed to shout loud enough to um, get some attention without the entire conference coming in. And, um, and it was all fine. So this morning, so far, it's been much more smooth. So I'm sure all of this <laughs> will be fine. So I get to start off a four-week series on the kingdom of God. And we're going to look at the firstly through the Old Testament for four weeks, and then we'll move on to looking at the kingdom of God in the New Testament. So what is the kingdom of God exactly? Well, the word kingdom is often used to mean the place or the people over which a king or queen is sovereign. We live in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. So in modern usage, the kingdom The word kingdom is used to mean the place or the people over which a king or queen rules, reigns, and has authority. However, in the Bible, the meaning of the word kingdom is a bit different. And when it specifically refers to the kingdom of God, it always refers to his reign, his rule, and his sovereignty itself, and not the realm over which it's exercised. So it's a slightly different way of thinking about it. The kingdom of God, therefore, is not the spiritual or physical realm or people over whom God rules. It's the the reign and rule of God itself. Um, His kingship or his sovereignty is another way of saying it. Psalm 103 says, verse 19, The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 145, 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. We use the word kingdom in the Lord's Prayer as well. We say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we asking for heaven to come to earth? Yes, in one sense, but only because in heaven, God's reign is more perfectly realized than it is right now on earth. So your kingdom come, your will be done, 
is really a cry for more of God's reign on earth and for him to manifest his kingly sovereignty and rule and power on earth. We see God's kingdom and reign over everything right from the start of the Bible. So let's go back to the very beginning into creation. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, where God creates everything. Um, I'm going to read through chapter 1 until chapter 2, verse 3. So you can read with me or you can listen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that's what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. God called the space sky. And evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that's what happened. God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant, and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that's what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants, and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, Let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth. And that's what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set these lights in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, Let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water, and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that's what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, 
Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And that's what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. The evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. So today I've got three main points. First, that God created everything. Second, God cares about everything he's made. And third, God reigns over everything. So here goes. My first point is that God created everything. John 1.3 says, Through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He created everything through the power of his words. And we've been singing about that this morning. He simply just commanded things and they came into being. Out of the chaos, God brought order. And when he speaks, things happen. He says, let there be light. And there was light. His very words carry his authority, his power, and his purpose. And because he made everything and everyone, that means that everything and everyone belongs to him. All of it. All of us. He owns everything. And there is no higher authority than him. Not only did he create everything, he's also the source of life for everything. Whether that's plants or animals or people. In Genesis 2-7, God actually comes up close and he breathes his life into people. His very breath gives life. He's a life-giving God. Not only does he give life to all of creation, God also sustains the life that he's created. He didn't just make the world and then stand back. Instead, he's active and he's involved in his creation. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Son is sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is big enough and powerful enough to hold together everything in the universe. So there might be times when you feel, I feel like my life might be falling apart. Um, But I can know that actually he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So to summarise so far, God created everything, which means that everything belongs to him. He's the source of life for everything. 
and he's sustaining everything, which kind of covers everything, really. Um, So what difference does this make for us? Well, first, because God can bring order out of chaos, it changes the way that we can pray. We can ask God to bring his order wherever there's chaos in our lives and in our world, in confident expectation that nothing is too big for him. It, it really isn't. In chaotic and confusing situations, we can pray and trust him to bring his order and peace. If I feel anxious and like life's out of control, like I'm out of control, work's out of control, or my thoughts and feelings are out of control, I can pray and ask him to come and bring his peace and order, and he'll do it. The second difference it makes is that if God created everything, including the spiritual realms, this changes the way that we can pray about spiritual battles and spiritual realities as well. The enemy is still a created being, He's definitely not equal to God, not in any way. He's only ever described in the Bible as a prince and not a king. God alone is the king and he is victorious. There are spiritual battles in life, but we know who the ultimate victor is, the true king. Next, if we understand that God is the provider and source of all life, that sets us free from looking to ourselves or to dead ends for answers. When we feel empty, we just try and fill up our lives, fill up our souls with anything which kind of seems to take the edge off it, seems to fill us up. But none of those things truly satisfy, if we're honest. But looking at creation once again, it helps us to realise that we weren't made to depend on ourselves. We were made to depend on him as the source of life, who gives life and sustains life. He's sustaining us right now. Physically, the air that we breathe, and providing for our needs emotionally, mentally, spiritually, he provides for us. It's our job to receive. We don't generally like admitting our limitedness. We don't like asking for help that often, or admitting that we haven't got it all together. But deep down, we do have a longing for the life that we can sense that God created us to live, which is more than we've got by ourselves. Over Easter, we've been celebrating God's resurrection power at work in raising Jesus from the dead. This is the ultimate example of God radically bringing life and transforming everything. That same life-giving resurrection power is at work in our lives as well. God can bring new life. Where relationships or situations seem dark or lifeless or, or barren, Jesus promises, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. A while ago, I felt Jesus challenged me about this verse and said, do you believe that you can experience life to the full right now? Or does it always feel out of reach? Like, do you need, is it once you've achieved a certain thing? Or once you get the perfect job? Or once you're married? Once you have kids? Or once you've reached whatever dream that you've got? Is it always just around the corner? When do you think you're going to be happy? Or do you believe that I can give you life to the full right now? Ask me for it. So I think there's a deep, spiritual truth here that only God brings life. Life to the full. And we have to come to him 
as a source of life. Last, because God created everything, it all belongs to him. Well, that changes the way we see our lives. Do we see it as my life, my family, my work, my house, my time, my money? Or do we recognise that everything, all of it, every last thing, all rightfully belongs to him? It's not easy for us to accept. I quite like holding on to my life, my time, my money. Thank you very much. We don't like giving these things over to God that easily. And sometimes we're scared to ask God, what do you want me to do with my money or my time, my life? What do you want me to do next year? We're sometimes doubtful about whether he's really got our best interests at heart. Can I really trust him? That brings me to my second main point, which is that God is good and he cares about everything and everyone that he's made. We don't live in a universe that's random and here by chance. There's purpose. God created us and our world for his glory, for his own delight and good pleasure. And he's created a good world for us. The phrase, God saw that it was good, is repeated throughout Genesis, and that's why I wanted to read it in full. He genuinely enjoys what he's created. He celebrates it, and it brings him amazing joy and delight. How does that make you feel? That God celebrates you, that he genuinely has delight in you. There's a joyousness in the heart of God that we can see throughout creation. If we would but open our eyes and look, and look at the mountains, look at the sky, look at the, the birds, and just everything around us speaks of incredible beauty and diversity which God has made for us. I went to a butterfly exhibition at the Natural History Museum in London a couple of years ago. They'd basically, outside the main building, set up a marquee and for a few months. And just, I have no idea how they did it, but just filled it with you know, thousands and thousands of butterflies. And as I went in, it was amazing. It was to be surrounded by so many butterflies on every side. Um, and it was great, apart from when they were sort of literally flying into your face. It was, it was good. Um, how many species of butterflies do you think there are? So, Wikipedia says <laughs> about 17,500, we think. We don't know. And that's just one example of God's extravagance and joy in creating the detail and the beauty of our world. God cares about the people he's created. He loves us. Psalm 139 says, For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. This is a powerful truth. Each of us is deeply known, deeply loved, and deeply valued by God. We're valuable in his eyes, simply because he chose to create us in his image, in his likeness, to reflect his good qualities. Our value is not defined by what we do or achieve. I really held on to that truth when I was a student um, at university and I felt the pressure to feel defined by academic achievement. 
or lack of. Um, I was struggling to keep my head above water that first year academically. Um, the workload felt impossible. I was struggling to get through all the reading, um, couldn't really write very much at all, and I wasn't really meeting the deadlines very much. And it didn't really seem to matter how many hours I put in. It felt like I was getting nowhere. I started going to ACC here, um, and I just felt challenged by God, actually, to still take a Sabbath day of rest from work on Sundays and trust God that there's enough time because he's in charge of time, he created time, and that he would help me to do what I needed to do. Which was pretty tough because the deadlines were on Mondays that year and I got in the habit of pulling all-nighters and working through the night and it was just all a bit out of control. But I made the decision to still take time to put God first and come to church no matter how badly the work was going and to trust that actually... I can trust him. He's, I can put him first. And whether or not I meet the deadlines or make it through exams, it's all in his hands. And any academic success or failure doesn't define who I really am. My identity is given by God. My value is given by God. Um, and that was an important truth for me to learn at that time when I fell out of my depth. And it's something that God keeps bringing back to time again. So God cares about his creation. What, does that, what difference does that make to us? It means it all matters to him. The big and the small. He cares about global issues, um, about environmental problems like water shortages and the destruction of habitats and forests. But he also cares about every detail of our lives. He cares about whether I get stuck in the loop or I have to give a talk or <laughs> about essays. And he cares about the really big stuff the heartbreaking stuff of life as well. He knows every hair on your head. You can know that your life matters to God. He sees all of us as valuable to him because we're made to bear his image, each of us, in a unique way, showing something of his goodness and his glory. Each of us are blessed to be a blessing to others. Each of us has something to give. You have something to give. So God created everything. God cares about everything. And my third and last main point is that God reigns over everything he's created. Genesis 1 and 2 show us that God's original design for creation um, and how he reigns over everything he's created and he's delegated authority to humans. He said... Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, etc. So we're called to care for the world and to do so in God's image, in his likeness, displaying his qualities of generosity and love and kindness. But we also live in the reality that life is bittersweet often more bitter than sweet. And as a whole, creation has fallen short of its full purpose. It's unfulfilled, it's unfruitful. We experience the effects of human disobedience towards God in the presence of sin and pain, suffering and death in our world. There's the truth that God is an eternal king, the Lord is king forever and ever, but there's also the reality that there's been a twofold rebellion against God, our King, 
First, there was a spiritual rebellion against God's kingdom and sovereignty, and that was from Satan and the fallen angels. But secondly, secondly, there's the human rebellion against God and our disobedience in choosing to live independently from God. And that started in, in Genesis 3, we read about, but it still continues. We still tend to fight against God. But the good news is that's not where the story ends. God is redeeming his creation. God is outworking an amazing rescue plan. He's reclaiming his total kingdom, his total sovereignty, by destroying Satan and Satan's kingdom, and by redeeming people through the death and resurrection of Jesus. God's reclaiming his total authority um, in all realms. And so although our human disobedience affects creation, God's in the process of redeeming his whole world. So that's why we experience life as bittersweet. There's goodness in the world and in people that reflects God's original good design and plan and how he's made people in his image. But there's also brokenness in the world and in people. And that's an effect of us turning against God. So that means we see the kingdom of God, his rule, both now and not yet. God's kingdom, his rule, is here now um, because God rules and he's sovereign, but it's also not yet because God's still bringing people back to himself. Colossians 1.13 says, For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And through Jesus' victory at the cross, God has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son he loves. These are two different kingdoms. In one kingdom, God is ruling and reigning through his light. In the kingdom of darkness, however, people are against God. Jesus has brought us out of one kingdom and into a totally different kingdom where God is good and he's ruling and he's in charge. God God is bringing us back to the life that he always meant us to live. And we get a fresh start there in the kingdom of light, new creations. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Later in Colossians 1.20, it says that God is reconciling to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Reconciling all things. Wow. So let me just summarize that last point. And there are a lot of words beginning with R here, so bear with it. God is the king who reigns over everything. And God's response to humans rebelling against him is that instead of giving up on us, he has a rescue plan to reclaim his total kingdom and redeem people and bring us back into friendship and relationship with him. We were trapped in our sin, but he's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness for his kingdom of light. And he's reconciling the world to himself in Christ. This is big stuff. What does it look like in our lives? How do we get a hold of it? Well, first, it really helps us to understand ourselves better and see others with more grace. Each of us 
are both amazing and broken. We're amazing because we're made in God's image, but also broken because of the effect of sin in us. We all need more of God's rule and reign in us and to bring deep and lasting change. Eileen mentioned earlier that actually seeing this about God brings things into focus. And seeing this helps us see the big picture. His kingdom, his rule, his reign is advancing and increasing in the lives of all who follow him. And ultimately, we look forward to when he brings unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So, in conclusion, first, God created everything. It all belongs to him. He's the source of life for everything. And he's sustaining everything and holding everything together. Second, God cares about everything and everyone he's created. He deeply loves and values each person he's created. Third, God reigns over everything. He's got a rescue plan for creation. Jesus won a victory at the cross that forever changes the course of history. And we can look forward to a final victory at the end of time when God reconciles all things to himself. We live right now in the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. God's not far. He is near. He is here. He is bringing all things together and making all things new. The king of heaven, who has earth as his footstool, is also the king who came to earth, got on his knees and washed the dirty feet of his disciples to show them about love. That same king went to the cross so that we can be brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into his kingdom of light. And he pursues us relentlessly with his love and with his grace. How then shall we respond? I wonder if the band could come and join me on stage on. Well, first of all, we can worship and thank him for his amazing work in creating everything and in his provision for us and his plan to redeem everything and rescue us. Second, we can open our hearts to him and pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven over any area of our lives where we know we need God to manifest his reign and his goodness. Maybe it's your kingdom come in my mind where my thoughts are out of control, I'm fearful. Come and rule over my thoughts and bring your order and peace. Maybe it's your kingdom come in my finances where I find it hard to trust you to be my provider. Come and rule and help me steward my money as if it all belongs to you because it does. Maybe it's your kingdom come in how I see myself and how I see other people. Soften my heart, calm and open my eyes to that God-given potential in each of us because you made us in your image. And come, King Jesus, and redeem the broken parts of me and all of us. Maybe it's your kingdom come in bringing life to the full in the parts of my life, our church, our city, where there's barrenness or brokenness. Come and bring new life. We were reminded earlier of we want less of us. We want more of him. And he's the one who brings his kingdom. He does it. So we say, yours is the kingdom 
the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.